to positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. What words? I will never listen to a panda bear. And why is Artist that? or animal. <laughs> You'd never listen to a panda bear. What if a panda had a podcast and it was just him chomping on bamboo? What if a panda I'm had sure a that podcast? Exists. I wouldn't listen to it. There must I'm, be a cam that. of that in a zoo some kind. Yeah, it's, somebody's got to have caught that in 4K. Yeah. I, this is literally like the one of the first YouTube videos of all time. That's right. Of a panda. Filmed by someone from St. Paul Central. What? <laughs> Why do you know that? Huh? What the fuck has happened? <laughs> How do you have the authorship of the panda video in your pocket? The one I just pulled out of the thin air. What do you? <laughs> yeah, they're listening. Oh my god! So they planned the panda bit, huh? The founder, one of the founders, Check. anyway, of YouTube, fuck. went to St. Paul Central. My sister's alma mater. Wow, they got a they got a statue of the panda when you walk into school. <laughs> and the panda, the Saint Paul, the Central Pandas. That should be the team. The That'd be awesome. Go fighting pandas. Founder of the YouTube is the person who filmed the panda. I think so. yeah, that's the first YouTube video, right? Is it? I'm ninety nine percent sure. Yeah, I I don't have a this leg to stand on. All here. sounds like bullshit, but I admire your confidence. YouTube is made in Saint Paul for Saint Paul. <laughs> Hello, it's originally one. called Saint Paul Tube. Nick Swarsden also went there. A bunch of bunch of cool folk. Swarsden. Nick Swarsden, a great example of a not cool guy. I think he can. I think you he mean Swartzen. Hello, everyone. You're listening to Panda <laughs> Swartzen, Damn America. <laughs> the most 2007 podcast that has ever existed, where we discussed the Panda video and Nick Swartzen back to back. An animal collective. <laughs> Who has a guy yes. named Panda in it. <laughs> Which is how we got here, all to begin with. What's up? Don't worry. It's not the horrifying future. It's 2007. It's 2007. You're still 22. Damn. Or if you're one of our younger listeners, you're in high school. That's right. Or, Do we have any high school students? I don't know. No, I mean, I'm doing in math In 2007. Here. Oh, okay. I was in high school. 15 Same. years ago. Uh, I was just out of high school. I was a young, fresh-faced person in the world doing open mics. We were all dumb and full of cum. I'm Jake Flores. I'm dumb and full of cum. That's Anders Lee. Anders Lee here, uh, 2007 era video store clerk. And Alex Patak is here. I'm Alex Patak. I'm full of cum. Hello, everyone. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. I wanted to start today by following up on something, um, especially since we are revisiting for not fun reasons the city of Memphis, uh, we just talked about recently. Uh, I talked about the Memphis Bass Show Pro Shop Pyramid, which is in the middle of town last week, and somebody sent me an article that explained even more about the pyramid and its origins because uh, I couldn't figure that out while I was do there doing investigative journalism. Bass Pro Shop's <laughs> origins. Um, <laughs> man, okay, so I'm reading this article from... Forbes, and it apparently, so the pyramid was built there in like 1989 for uh, 
no reason. Like it was like, oh, no we'll just reason. make it, <laughs> and then maybe it'll be a center for stuff, or maybe it'll be an arena, or maybe it'll be a casino, or this or that. Um, I just want some kind of pyramid. <laughs> yeah. It, so I'm reading from this article. The here, you know, go. in 2007 culture, that would be called random. It would be random, like Homestar Runner. Oh, yeah. Remember him and then his evil counterpart, Homsar? And Dechit. Maybe Dechit goes in the pyramid. It's a Dechit. Okay. uh, High strangeness marked the Memphis Pyramid from the start. Before the ambitious construction project for a towering steel pyramid on the banks of the Mississippi River broke ground in 1989, renderings included a glass elevator ride to the top that never appeared, a hard rock cafe, a college football hall of fame, and a shortwave radio station capable of bouncing the city's iconic blues and rock and roll sounds off the stratosphere around the world. The pyramid, some Memphians believed, would be the southern city's answer to the St. Louis Arch, drawing visitors by thousands and providing a riverside monument to rally around. This is a very simple understanding of what draws tourism. We got weird shapes. (laughs) We're not the only city with shapes. Cities are stupid. We'll get into that. (laughs) Yeah, that's actually the theme of the episode today. Uh, but by the time the 321-foot-tall building opened as a basketball arena in 1991, that's what they landed on. Little remained of its original plans, if except the sixth largest pyramid on Earth and a mysterious crystal skull welded to its wow. apex. So there was a crystal skull <laughs> welded to the top of it. Is it not there anymore? No, it's not. They Did took somebody it out. take it? the crystal skull? <laughs> That part is, that what is the true. About? I was about to say that does uh, companion uh, advertising with Indiana Jones. No. they took it off, and they're like, "Who took the, Who took it?" But this is 1989. This yeah. predates the Crystal Skull Indiana Jones. They wrote the Indiana Jones about this, about the Bass Pro Shops. Well, I mean, if they wrote, if they, yeah, it would, that chronologically would be the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. I like to think that Indiana Jones was written all four parts at once, like uh, the Avatar series, where they it's actually part of a far larger story. That part is true, said Memphis Tourism CEO and President Kevin Kane, who worked for the city's marketing arm since 1991. The Crystal Skull sort of became folklore at some point and grew from there, but it's true. Isaac Tigret, who founded Hard Rock Cafe, put a crystal skull in there for mystic powers or what have you. It was removed. I guess he got it back. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the founder of Hard Rock Cafe put it up there. The business class of this country is out of control. <laughs> They've gone fully into Wiccanism. Yeah. And then I read the whole article, but it's not as good as the skull. Basically, what happened after that is it <laughs> turned into a basketball arena, and they tried to like have NBA games there and shit, but it's like... It's a pyramid, so the seating, they said, was almost, like, vertical because of the way that you can't stagger, like, seats. Yeah, the the sound must be weird, and if the ball bounces too high, then it gets stuck way at the top. The sound is weird. The second part does not happen, like you said. You have the the Hulk play there, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But they were saying the sound was really weird, which is why if you you were part of the Memphis Grizzlies or whatever the fuck the team was at that point, uh, they said that you have a huge... A home court advantage because it's like very disorienting to play. 
basketball in a fucking pyramid. <laughs> Feels like you're floating in space the whole time. Yeah, the other team's just hallucinating. Like, <laughs> overcome with visions of a terrible future. <laughs> yeah, there's a skull like leering down at you. Um, and then the other thing that happened, so somebody else eventually opened another space that was more apt for an NBA team to play in. All the teams moved there. And <laughs> it opened any other building. Yeah. Well, because of that uh, other building opened, I guess for some dumb city politics reason. Ooh, uh-huh. look, I tied it all together. Really nice. good, Jake. There's a non-compete clause, so you couldn't ah. book anything in the pyramid while the fucking NBA team was playing in the other arena, and so it killed it as a venue, and like a few bands played there, but as I said, the last person ever played there was Bob Seger. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> he did like the swan song of the fucking Memphis pyramid. And uh, If they- you think about it, pyramids really are like a rock. Pyramids are like a rock, <laughs> Anders. I was just about to say that. That's true. They are. They are like a rock. Being a mummy <laughs> is sort of like night moves. <laughs> you know, you wake up in the night. Working on the night moves. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, so basically after that, then it was just like this empty ass shit in the middle of a city because cities are dumb. And um, then the, the, the story from last time happened where the guy was fishing and then bet. Like they were made a multi million dollar deal and betted on whether he would like uh, c- catch a catfish and fuck it in the face or whatever the fuck. <laughs> Ain't no way will you fuck a catfish. <laughs> I don't if know. If you do, you get a pyramid. That whole part of the story is indecipherable because it's all like weird southern. Somebody, there's a quote in here. It's all crawdad talk. You're crazier than a sprayed roach, is what one of the guys said to the <laughs> wow. other one. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. That is Jake, crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Anyway, thank you for sending me that information about the pyramid. I'm glad I know about the crystal skull and everything now. It's real weird. So it wasn't the Masons. The founder of Hard Rock Cafe, who was the new Masons of the world. Okay. I could see that person belonging to a Freemason society. They just, that's. They like have those for, you know, nerd white collar people to be like, yeah, and I own my own business and I have a meetup where we wear hats. I. <laughs> that's basically it. I met actually speaking of hats. Uh, speaking of hats, speaking of hats, somebody over this summer. I'm, you know, a pyramid is like a rock. <laughs> a pyramid can be a hat if you're in a scary movie. Yeah, or if you're yeah, the bad yeah. guy from Resident Evil Four. I was gonna say Silent Hill. Yeah, also got a pyramid head. Pyramids are just a scary shape. It's a very scary thing to wear on your head. Ah! Well, I, I met somebody who was wearing a baseball cap on their head. There was a Mason themed baseball cap, mm. and I was like, "Oh, are you a Mason?" And she was like, "No, they don't allow women to join." And, and they have like, to change that policy. They should. They should. But I was like, oh, what? Did More you, did women you of color masons, please. <laughs> Diversify the Illuminati. <laughs> I asked if she had tried, and she was just like, I don't want to talk about it. And I felt immediately very bad, but it's also yeah. like you're wearing this. Well, you're wearing <laughs> that. Hey, you brought it up. Yeah. I'm answering a lot of questions that my hat has already answered. Right. <laughs> this is a Bass Pro Shops hat. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Um, well, concerts were held, right, at this arena at, at one point. Smell an Andrews Lee segue coming along. <laughs> mm-hmm. On our bonus episode this past week, <laughs> we talked about a concert uh, monopolist, if you will. Ticketmaster, which is now a subsidiary of Live Nation, and we just happened to do this episode about their uh, longtime war with Pearl Jam uh, on our bonus feed. And it just so happened that day, um, the Senate started uh, holding their feet to the fire 
now it's a bipartisan issue. They're t- they're trying. They're at least threatening to break up Live Nation. Uh, probably not actually going to do it, but uh, it is just fun. That's that that's in the news. So uh, you see, by angering Taylor Swift's fans, Ticketmaster unleashed a lion, like right. the song Jeremy. Oh. I don't think I made that very clear, but that was a reference to the hit song, Jeremy. What does that have to do with lions? Well, it's a, there's a, they unleashed a lion. Oh, okay. Oh, and, that's what he was saying. And because he's a lion, he shoots himself in the face. As we discovered, the song is about a boy shooting himself and not other people, which is why it's okay. That's got the PDA stamp of approval. And that's the official PDA stamp of approval of what the song's about and not a recommendation of things anybody should do. Uh-huh. Um, well, you know what you should do if you're in France is go out and pick it. We're just going to squeeze in some, some little news of the week because this yeah. is crazy uh, that this is happening across the pond. I guess the Lord. That's right. There's a, a union, CGT, in, in France who is uh, protesting Macron's pension policy, and they are like... Literally doing Robin Hood stuff. They're giving away free power because they have uh, control over to, like electricity and gas. They're giving it to uh, libraries, middle schools, high scale high schools, like public uh, housing, social housing, uh, and they're shutting it off for rich people, including supporters of Macron. Cool. Which is just crazy. I don't know why this isn't headline. Well, I do know why it's not yeah, headline. They don't want you to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's too French. Right, but it would be awesome to see something like that uh, happening here. Yes. Um, I don't know if that ever could happen. Hopefully it would, but uh, yeah, we'll see. With the power of the crystal skull, (laughs) we can divert all the power into the sky. But yeah, it's just, you know, night and day, how over there they're just like, yeah, they know they have control over this stuff. Uh like I, I know French people who are like not, don't consider themselves um, that political. But when you talk to them, it's like they under have so so much more class consciousness. Uh, than, it's the thing is, yeah, it, it's baked in. So right. they're like, I don't pay attention to politics, but then they just have that inside, right? Because they're they just have revolutionary DNA. France is cool, I think. There's a very like uh, weird American chauvinist old timey joke trope oh you surrendered in world war ii but if you know all of the rest of history of france i think france is cool france is in parts cool and in other parts bad like any other nation state it has some nasty stuff but uh uh, france is that one freak you bring home at the weekend and (laughs) you let in your house and she steals all your keys just all your keys she makes a magnificent key sculpture. <laughs> this makes a big, huge keychain out of all your keys. You know when this <laughs> happens to you. France, that one chick you bring home late night, you wake up, your crystal skull's gone. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> My crystal skull. I am the founder of Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> yeah. That's why it's a cafe. Cafe. You can smoke in it. Yeah. You can smoke in it. You can't, yeah. You can smoke... Can you st- can you smoke now in France? Never Still? been to Europe, <laughs> ever. Uh, no. Can you smoke in France? Well, I mean, like, can inside. you smoke in France? Now what are you in- a fucking cop? <laughs> Those people love smoking. Right. They probably just don't abide by it. Yeah. I. I mean, they are. Can you smoke in France? And it's a double-edged sword because when you go over there, uh, it's you can't help but respect 
the contempt uh, they have at every cafe, restaurant, bar, etc., for people buying stuff, uh, which especially includes Americans. Um, buying things of any kind, like supporting the cafe? Supporting the cafe. If you don't speak French, they do not like it. Oh. Uh, which I can understand, but I, I'm sorry, I can't like, learn it. I'm, I've tried. I right. understand I don't that have the intelligence. from their perspective, but also yeah. the feeling is mutual over here. Mm. Because we just have two different systems of buying shit. Right. And neither of us bother to learn how it works. Yeah. I'm talking about tipping. Is it, yeah, I was about oh, to yeah. say, so the, the issue with European tourists here is that none of them tip. What is the issue with American tourists buying things in France? Is it like they a haggling speak. barter system? The, well, um, so, you know, it's interesting. Maybe you have to do a performative dance. I, I was, I'm listening to uh, this audiobook Flow, which mm. is about, you know, mental, getting your mental state in the creative optimal zone. It's by me, Flow, Mr. Flow. Is yeah. that you? Oh, J Flow. Yeah. yeah, I wrote it. Uh, but there is this anecdote in the book about how um, he's talking to a, a merchant who would sell, you know, crafts and things. And someone came in and wanted to buy, like, you know, a pot or whatever for the listed price. And he refused because he was like, the fun of it for me is haggling. I mm. love to haggle. And if you're just going to come in and buy at its listed price, I don't want to deal with you. I want to, you know. <laughs> That's no fun. Yeah. There's an art to it. Um, Where and- is the beauty in selling you this product for its price? <laughs> right. And that I think that may, that may be a French thing. They expect you to haggle. They expect you to speak French. And once I ordered a sandwich and they like slapped it on oh, the counter, like homie. speak French. You do not order a sandwich in France. That's rule number one. <laughs> Wait, you have a sandwich story from today? Yes, I do. This was a long wind-up. So <laughs> yeah, got, we're going to start with France and on sandwich. <laughs> I got a bagel sandwich today. Uh, bag witch? What's the term? Bagel sandwich is the term. Okay. Murray. I was going to get a bacon... Egg of <laughs> Just his tail is sticking out of a cabinet right now. <laughs> that was very cute. Um, He's not supposed to be in there. He's not supposed to be in there. <laughs> Continue I, your story. So I went to a bagel spot today, and I went, wanted to get a uh, bacon, egg, avocado, and uh, ketchup, hot sauce. They they gave me... <laughs> cheese? Oh, no, you can't have cheese. I don't have cheese. They they gave me the sandwich. I walk across the street to a bench, sit down, I I bite in, there's no bacon. And I'm like, yeah, should I? You know, They did charge me for it, so yeah, I guess I've got to get my money's worth. So I went back. I was very nice. I was like... <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't, I ordered bacon and I didn't get any bacon uh-huh. and the, and the owner was there. He takes the bag, doesn't even look in it to check if I'm lying, uh, goes up to the counter and says, make it again, throws it at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just standing there and I know I'm sure 99% <laughs> of our listeners, the back and forth you have with like your everyday bagel sandwich maker <laughs> On the side of the tyrant depressor. is <laughs> forming a, a pattern here, Anders. Yeah, throwing a sandwich at somebody is really funny. I know. <laughs> that's the, is like, it kind of seemed like a joke. And I know 99% of our listeners, and probably me if I heard this story, would be like, well, of course, I would immediately be like, sir, that is unacceptable. Mm. And I would, you know, help this uh, no, worker he, free himself of his change. I would not shocked. say shit. I, I, was, I stood there <laughs> dumbfounded. <laughs> They made the sandwich again, and I was like, "It's gonna hot, hot, hot sauce." And they're like, "Hot sauce, put the hot sauce on it." <laughs> and uh, and I get the sandwich back, and I was like, "Thanks, uh, I I didn't want him to th- to throw it at you." 
<laughs> to curb your enthusiasm your way into this man's life. Yeah, and that well now, yeah, I'm stuck in a little Larry David situation. Like, do I leave a Yelp review about the owner? Do uh-huh. I say And so- also they don't put bacon on the sandwich. <laughs> that I don't I mean it's not that double, it happens. It, I've been on the other end of that that's a double hundreds of times. You've that's been a on the flag. other end of having a sandwich thrown no, at you? No. <laughs> hundreds of with, times. With hundreds people's eyes. People have thrown sandwiches with their eyes at me. Anders There's is a trained uh, clown. People <laughs> are throwing sandwiches at him every night. They are staring sandwiches at you. <laughs> Well, I've screwed up people's orders, you know, countless times, and it it feels bad on both sides. I don't, you know. I'd say, you know, the moral of the story is just don't mention, don't bring the sandwich back next time. No, just I eat the, the bacon. Sandwich. I wanted the, the bacon. beginning of the story, you had no idea yeah, this I know, was going to happen. happen. Yeah. This is what happens if you don't just eat your sandwich. This is what happens. You got to learn how you to cook either, these things at home. You either grin and bear it, or you have to watch abuse. <laughs> you feed into abuse. the system. Right. Man, that is so funny. System of sandwich oppression. Did did they get the sandwich right the next time? It'd be really yeah, funny if they fucked it up again. I did, have, like to, three I did have to tell them to put hot sauce on it. It would be funny if it, that caused him to throw the sandwich at the guy again. Yeah. Start again. <laughs> no, then I think at that point he would justify leaving mad at me. Yeah, <laughs> <I should> right. <laughs> well, because there are people I wouldn't who blame you for this. Take advantage. There are people who will like go in. I heard about this once is a restaurant I worked at that there was a woman who would come in and uh, always say there was plastic in her food. Mm. And um, and on a grand scale, there is. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's like little bits of bug and plastic and everything we eat. Every okay. time you touch a receipt, you get microplastics so small they go through the pores in your skin. Can so I have cool? extra microplastics? <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, that's what that was. What he was trying to do was make the guy more machine, more plastic than human, because the mm. human was uh, having errors, and so he needs, you know, one little more touch of plastic will make him fully robot. But uh, I what was mm. I just saying? Oh yeah, there's this woman who would come <laughs> in and put. Going. She would have like little pieces of plastic glove that she would take out of the food and say, "This wound up in my food. Your cooks are like." dropping their gloves in it and shit. How uh, the fuck would that happen? It doesn't. It doesn't. And someone tested Parts it. Parts of a glove. Someone tested it and they put, they intentionally like cooked glove and it goes, <laughs> it it blows up. It, it it dissolves. And so they confronted her about this and she just scurried away. Have you been putting gloves in your food for refunds? <laughs> what a weird a great scam. scam. Well, that's the thing. Is, whose side are you really on if you're doing the scam? One the of the oldest in tricks in the book. Workers get in trouble, but the boss loses the money. So who's really? The boss slaps his employee with the sandwich like a glove, <laughs> challenges him to That's a, a duel. duel. Yeah, at yeah. that point. Yeah. I challenge you to the blimpy's duel. I'm not sure you can argue that your glove scam is like a uh, class, has a class dynamic no, to it. it. I not think it's mostly does. just raw criminality. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It's your lust for crime. We don't have to have discourse about the glove sandwich scam. I bet if that happened. I know it's a big culture war in this country. These glove sandwiches. (laughs) Uh, Every night on Fox News, Tucker Carlson doing another one of his epic rants about (laughs) the glove women in this country. We could absolutely manufacture an internecine Twitter debate over glove scams. I think so. We get it on Tucker. He'll get it eventually. eventually. He'll. He'll be bad about it, like the M&Ms and shit. Why would there be gloves in your food? <laughs> they why dissolve. Would a, why would an entrepreneur waste money on gloves if it's going to, yeah. Um, yeah. That's about a liberal schooling system. They're teaching kids 
cut up a glove. Put it in a sandwich. Maybe we get a free handout from the government. And that's why we need to fund the police and not defund them. <laughs> so we just get there eventually. Absolutely. Right. Which is where all things end. And that kind of reminds me, actually, of this thing that's popped up in the news lately. They're trying to build a cop city. Have you heard about this? I have. A yes. city entirely We've- made out of cops. <laughs> That'd be cool. The mayor, just whoever is the highest score at Candy Crush. <laughs> And they we, all just kind of watch each other in a big circle. It's been going on for like a while, uh, like a couple of years or something. Have we covered cops? Yes, ever? we have. An entire city of cops. It's crazy. They're trying to build the cops like a playground in the middle of this very important forest in <laughs> Atlanta. And right. they just picked like the thing that is the most evil to bulldoze. So they it, can make like a laser tag arena or whatever. I think it's a response to Avatar Way of Water where they were like, we want to be like the bad guys in this movie. We're going to knock down the forest. We're going <laughs> to uh, put camo on blue dudes. Yeah. yeah. They're mad that there's another blue person in town. Person of blue. That's our thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yes, this is going to be a facility, barring something uh, monumental happening. This looks like it's going to be completed at some they point. They look pretty determined to push this fucking thing through. Yeah. To the point of charging dozens of people with terrorism from a, a byproduct of the Dylan Roof massacre thing from 2017. Right. Yeah. I mean, this... Um, Construction always takes longer than they say it will, so maybe this will be another decade. Mm. Uh, but this thing is supposed to be like a national facility. Like they're going to have other departments come in, and it's going to be like a, a training ground for learning all the awful tactics that get deployed on the streets to. Uh, sure. The, well, the security apparatus in this country is very aware that we, uh, you know, because it's their job, that there has been nothing added into the public system to, you know, reduce crime organically. And so the policy decision we've chosen nationally by operating through these people is just like put RoboCop in every city in America and bust heads until there's no more uh, crying about social services. And this is this. That's why the construction of this has become like a big national fight, right? Because the understanding is okay. We're gonna we're gonna build one of these here, and then after we get enough uh, new uh, uh, kitted up psychos from the Avatar two movie, and we've deployed them in Atlanta, we're gonna have these in every city, or like we'll send we'll send your cops here to get training before they come back and start doing karate to you in the street. Yeah. Do you think there's like a, a part of the facility where they train you to pretend that you got fentanyl overdosed by touching it? <laughs> like th- they work on your dances you do? Yeah, there's like a theater director who's like teaches you how to fall correctly right. and stuff. Oh my God, Murray, please don't walk on <laughs> Murray, the no! Did you see, by the way... Um, back the cabinet. There's subtle differences between the fentanyl overdose dance and the vaccine overdose dance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which is, they're both kind of, you know, they, they act like you have um, uh, MS, which is, you know, uncontrollable shaking. Uh-huh. But at the same time, the fentanyl one should also be like kind of implying that you were killed while it was happening. Whereas the vaccine is like, I have developed a muscular disorder from <laughs> uh, Bill, uh, not Bill Clinton, from... Uh, Bill Gates and his, his robot virus that he's you've all injected into yourselves. Yeah. Uh, Start did, doing you the robot. See, did you guys see the... <laughs> no, one's, no one's done that. Yeah. There was a clip from Kansas City, I think, where there were two cops that were at somebody's house and one of the cops is just wigging out. He's just like <laughs> speaking incoherently <laughs> and like cool. sitting in the corner like, like tweaking. 
Uh, and you know, it's like the, the vaccine thing. You can tell just from the gyrations that this is just like, you, you, like you, I've seen these same people trying to twerk at a club, and it's mm. uh, it's similarly like ugly. You and can forced. tell he's twerking. This <laughs> this guy is like on something, and the and the, the people there are like, why did you send a high cop? <laughs> and the other one's like, sir, 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 please, please, sir. Oh, he's just meth tweaked out, but he's like, oh, I touched fentanyl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Uh, yes, but, you know, we are speaking today after a very horrific uh, incident. Uh, how do we segue into this? There's no way. None okay. of this. We, I mean, we're a comedy podcast. It's impossible every time yeah. something horrible Here's a good happens. segue. Forget all that other stuff we were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> we're now what? going to an interview. <laughs> you know what I was thinking about? The, the my headphones just there. You go. Oh, now you're back. Your, your mic. The amount of times I've heard the t- the phrase, uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. And you know where that comes from? Where does it come from? It's an AA saying. Really? So fuck that. Is it the actual definition of? Insanity? No, it's not. Like that's they were the first. It's de- that is definitely not the definition okay. of insanity. But yeah. that's the first. Like that's the origin of that. The Lord origin, truism. not of the word, but of the. Uh, aphorism. The yeah. definition of insanity is every shot you don't take. Wayne Gretzky. <laughs> it's actually the state of being seriously mentally ill. Mm. That makes sense. Got him. Got him. Oxford. So uh, I, I you think you know that, better than Oxford, AA? I have heard that that phrase so many times. I feel like I'm going the thing that they're describing. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> it's it's the it keeps being repeated, and it keeps being repeated. I think rightfully. Um, in in reference to this situation, policing in the United States, where uh, the the cops keep doing awful stuff and getting more powerful, it's an amazing paradox in this world that we live in. Um, but we are speaking to to somebody today who is a journalist, uh, really deep in the weeds of this stuff, especially in the Atlanta region, um, and we're going to be hearing from him about. Uh, Cop City, as well as the relationship between Cop City and other police departments throughout the country, uh, including in uh, Memphis. All right, here we go. Okay, now we're going. All right, we are now joined by George Cheedy, who is an investigative journalist in Atlanta. George, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here. Good stuff. Yeah, and, um, you know, we... Originally had you on to, to speak about uh, Stop Cop City and that situation, yep. um, but there is a related uh, neighboring almost situation unfolding, uh, very tragic, the killing of murder of, of Tyree Nichol. I just want to begin by getting your reaction to that, and although it's in a different city, uh, how are people reacting to it in the Atlanta area? So, I mean, obviously there's a very strong reaction to everywhere. It's Shades of Joy, Jordan feels like Rodney King. And there's an Atlanta connection to all of this, which is something I'm starting to explore. Uh, Turns out I know the police chief in Memphis because she was an Atlanta senior cop. She was a cop commander here in Atlanta up until 2016. Um, uh, And she had a very checkered career, to be perfectly frank. Um. The, uh, she left here in 2016 to go to uh, Durham, 
Durham, North Carolina, where she ran their police department until 2021 when Memphis hired her. And um, there's been a lot of talk about how she's, she's starting to be praised a little bit for her candor around releasing the tapes and describing the tapes as horrific. Um, the thing is, she ran... So there's some dispute about this. I'm starting to hear about this from local cops because I was tweeting about it earlier today. Uh, she claimed when she went to Durham that in 2007 and 8, she had been uh, like the one of the commanding officers of the Red Dog unit here in Atlanta. And Red Dog in Atlanta was notorious for doing the same crap that we just saw on those video, on those tapes, like Red Dog in Atlanta, used to kick the crap out of people for no damn reason, mm. and it was disbanded after some Red Dog guys shot and killed a 93 year old woman in her own home on for nothing. Uh, Catherine Johnston, and subsequently kicked the snot out of a gay bar, the the Eagle on Ponce in. Uh, 2011, I think. Uh, and then the city is basically saying, like, the, none of the liability we're incurring is worth what we're getting. We're shutting this whole thing down. Um, Not the tell red you, dog unit. Why are they called that? So it was an acronym. Red dog was an acronym. Same as this scorpion unit that she <laughs> set up in, in Double animal twist. <laughs> yeah. Red Dog, Rudd Every, Drug Dealer, out of Georgia. Oh, my God. Uh, that's so silly. That'd be Red Duke. Sorry <laughs> yeah. to be pedantic this way, no, but it would right. be Red Duke. Yeah. Elves are typically It's not. always something like the like unit or the scorpion unit or yeah. the <laughs> like the, the tiger unit or something. And it's and it's never like, like it's never the puppy unit. <laughs> it's, it's never the like the kitty unit. Like, I mean, you're like, you're, you're, you're creating these high intensity things to kick the snot out of people and scare people to death. And then you wonder why you've got a relationship that's in the toilet with your police department. Like, yeah, that's what you've asked for. Like you've, you've essentially said in New York, uh, I think, I don't know what the official name is, but colloquially it's referred to just as the jump squad and they had to go away for a few years and now under Eric Adams, they're back. And, and bigger than ever. Um, but I'm, I'm curious about the this police chief. Yeah. And, and, Go ahead. Uh, you're curious about this police chief? I'm sorry. You oh, yeah, missed, yeah. I missed what you were going to say. Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, she, she I, I read that she, uh, her husband had some, some dirt in his past that she was perhaps involved in, in covering up. Was that when she was in uh, Atlanta? So I'm not sure. I don't think it was her husband. Like, uh, I think it was someone else. I'll have to check. Okay. Um, so Atlanta politics is garbage, and it's better now, a little better. But in like in 2009, when Kasim Reed was getting elected, like everything was just it was just bad, and um, she was accused, credibly in my opinion, of interfering with an interf- with a an uh, investigation into a guy who was ultimately convicted on child pornography charges. Um, the the police chief in 2009 demoted her from major to lieutenant 
and tried to fire her, and the Civil Service Board reinstated her. And she managed to hang on for like six years. Uh, like, this is just how, like, she was promoted. Subsequently, she was promoted. And she left as an assistant commander, like, from, from Atlanta. And it is not, it's, it's not uh, a coincidence that she left just ahead of Kasim Reed leaving office. Like, that's not, that's just how that worked. Kasim Reed, Mayor Reed was a problem when it came to matters of executive authority and, and stuff like this. Mm. Um, so nobody caught it when she went to Durham. And then nobody caught it when she went to Memphis. And now we're staring at this. Like, it looks for all the world that she went, is the highest crime city, violent crime city in the United States, or at least it was in 2011, 2021. Like, had the highest violent crime rate in the United States. Like, the homicide rate was 48 point something out of 100, like 48 out of 100,000, which is astronomical. Uh, The national average is around seven per 100,000. I think they hired her to say, like, we need some asses kicked. Like, set up an outfit. And she did. Because she knew how they worked, because she ran one in Atlanta. Uh, it did in Memphis what ours did in Atlanta, and this is the product of that kind of policing. So, when these uh, police heads are kind of like jumping from department to department, is are they getting like raises or better packages in like Durham, or is it just yeah. kind of like they get in trouble here, so they got to go, they, you know, get out of town for a while, and then they can come back to some other place? Depends, depends. Like, so part of this is that, like, actual executive experience in a police department of any size is actually fairly rare. And talent, like any other executive talent, it's just, it's just hard to hold, it's hard to hold on to. Like, there's a bidding war. Um, with sugar on top and extra spices, person is black and female because you're, checking some boxes there um and i know and i know what i sound like because i look i will be the first person in the world to talk about how black executives are are discriminated against they are um but durham had a checkered history around race and policing and so the perception is let's bring in a black chief like let's make sure that's not an issue like, and it's the same thing in Memphis. Memphis is torn up by r- racial problems. Uh, it is not an accident that there's a white mayor and a majority black city council and, uh, like, huge arguments over things like what to do with a Confederate statue. Uh, that community is ripped apart by racial segregation or its sort of legacy. And so they're like, well, can we find a black police chief who has policed in black communities before to keep us out of that kind of trouble? Here's a good one. So supposedly. Yeah. Um, so that's where we are. Like, that's what I'm looking at right now. Like, yes, a bunch of black cops kicked the snot out of a black man and killed him, like murdered him in the street over nothing. Um, 
And they're like, the, the world is asking, how is it that black people could be responsible for this? And I'm trying to peel at that, going like, these are, this, these are the political decisions. These are the calculations that go into having all black people screwing up. Yeah, I mean that, that's that discourse is is all over the place today. But I think uh, listeners to our show are probably going to be on the same page as us, where it's you know, it's the job. Uh, the job's a problem. You can't just uh, hire you know police commanders of color and who are women and everything and expect that to influence the the job. You know, police do that like often to uh, you know to cover themselves from criticism of, of that sort. Yeah. Clearly, it's the job. This is really enlightening, too, uh, contrasted with the other story that we were originally going to talk about, which is the expansion of Cop City, which is a police training uh, uh, operation. Like, they want to clear this forest and put up a police training operation. And it seems like the the new and exciting advent of police training techniques we're, we're so ready to throw millions of dollars at is just hit squads of people who are ready to jump you in the street. Like, that is the new technology we're offering. Yeah, and like with all of the value that that's been able to add. Like, we've gotten so much benefit from this kind of... Please hear the sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's coming there, across. Yeah, yeah no, we got you. hell <laughs> are we doing? Like, the worst part is cops in general understand this is not going to work. But the problem is that the political, the political structures that exist are like they're working on two- and four-year time horizons. They're looking from election to election. And they have a public that is screaming at them, do something now and let us see what you're doing. And if I can't see what you're doing, then you're not doing anything and we're going to throw you out. And so the political folks are like, how do I stay, keep elected? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hire a bunch of goons to go and kick the snot out of every everybody that looks crosswise at them. Like, they'll, they'll rack up huge arrest numbers and huge seizure numbers and will and hope that they get away with enough police violence where that's not going to be the story. There's something very low effort about it. Kind of a, like the approach is like, we're going to send out, you know, new police units to rack up record arrests and beat people publicly in the news. And then no one can say we're not doing anything, even though we are not fixing the problem at all. Yeah, the, the, ma- the yeah. political machinations that you're talking about uh, keep everything confined to the short, the, the small picture, like the short story. Right. That's what's uh, that's what's that's what's keeping everyone going. Look, look, I need to get elected. I need optics, you know, this year to look good for me. So, uh, you know, not look at this in the big picture. But I don't know. Statistics like this, like, bear repeating, I guess. But I hear them all the time. I think if you are paying attention, it's rather obvious. But I guess it bears repeating every time something like this happens. I just thought I'd read something this guy Luke O'Neill tweeted uh, because I think it puts things in bigger perspective said cops killed more people in 2022 than any year since we've counted one in 47 adults in the country are under correct correctional supervision we have 20 percent of the world's prisoners with five percent of the people if shoplifting and fair jumping are a problem it's not because we don't punish enough like seems fairly obvious when you put it all on the board like that 
supposedly this is the freest country on earth, yet we have 20% of the world's prison population with 5% of the people. The idea that's, that's being, the story that's being told in the short run that it's, uh, oh, we just need to crack down more, it's kind of reaching this like ridiculous breaking point where this is all that local politics is, this is all that anyone ever runs for in mayor's races and stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> and it's just obviously not true. And the more people abuse it for the purposes of, uh, of like optics and, and political reasons, like you're talking about, the more we're going to end up with like, yeah, these like red dog guys running around, you know, I agree with you, but I would like the hard part is when you push back against this stuff, you are called a police abolitionist or soft on crime or, an Antifa person or a communist or God knows what else and, um, and are summarily dismissed by your critics and you start and you get into this inane back and forth about what good policing should look like and what like rehabilitation services should look like and versus you want to defund the police and you know, like there's the like there's a de- there's a reasonable dialogue to be had about all of this stuff, and I think most people are actually interested in that dialogue. And the problem is that there are just enough people who are stupid <laughs> who are listening to all of this to move an election in one direction or another, and so we are being governed by the stupidest twenty percent of the electorate. And I don't know what to do about that. As a journalist, I've been fucking. Like, can I swear? About yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, There's a swear in the name of our podcast. It's fine. <laughs> so good. Like, I'm at wit's end about what to do about stupid fucking people in politics. I, I, like, I'm having an aneurysm as I'm talking. About it. I don't even know. Well, it seems like such an obvious thing that you know, no matter one's political persuasion, they should be able to accept as an end to qualified immunity for police officers, but why does that even seem to be such a sticking point politically? Well, it's because like police unions and police supporters and specifically like far right, you know, activists can muster that stupid 20% of the electorate around a message that says, don't do that. Mm. That uh, I mean, 80, like 80% of the public, agrees with the with the idea that a police officer should be held accountable for misconduct. That's not even a controversial idea. It is simply a question of how to get at it in a way that doesn't cost people elections. Um, nobody wants to put their reelectability up against like having cops go to jail for beating somebody up. Um, like I mean there it is. Like the lobby for police officers is louder than the lobby for criminal justice reform. Mm -hmm. That's got to change. I don't know if you have more questions about Tyree Nichols first, but um, reading reading your piece, I think it was on uh, Substack uh, about the the Cop City uh, uh, 
facility, uh, facility, whatever you want to call Complex. it, and how it originally Forest got kingdom, <laughs> the the police forest <laughs> kingdom uh, that is in the works. Uh, you were writing about how when it was initially passed through at a local level, uh, that it is it was that there were votes on approving the the building of the of the thing, and they were held near an election cycle, and it became very clear that if you came out against uh, building Cop City, there were going to be political repercussions for you at a local level. And uh, if, as we fast yeah. forward now, uh, what's so interesting about it is now that it's become this big um, attraction point and there is a national draw to the area. And, you know, the, uh, Brian Kemp is ranting about uh, outside agitators coming in and uh, trying to change Georgia. The discourse of the thing, uh, which is a local a local development is still a national culture war talking point where uh, there are outside agitators and they're trying to stop Georgians from doing what they want. But then also all of the local levers of uh, uh, checks and balances on building this thing have been shut off essentially by a national police state that's happy to ram through this encampment to get this training done no matter what. no matter what what uh, actual is the democratic will of the area. Yeah. And so I, I think that kind of shows what I don't, that could be a bellwether for the emergence of domestic politics coming up for like the next decade or something, because a lot of this is not local Atlanta stuff. Oh, like, I mean, all the like the la- the people who have the least amount of, of power in this in this conversation about Cop City are the folks who are ha- going to have to live next to Cop City. Like they're the they are the last people in line to to make a decision about any of this stuff. Um, the uh, it's an unincorporated DeKalb County. And normally that means it would be a DeKalb County planning and zoning thing. Like and it would have to go through a county board, like at the hell of a planning and zoning meeting. And and don't and I don't know if you've ever had to go to a like a a county meeting before or a planning meeting before. Have you had this privilege in your life? Have you had to enjoy this horrifying moment ever? Either any of you have any of you had to do this? If elected, I will serve. (laughs) I went to the city, uh, city council meeting for the Amazon uh, facility that was going to be built in here in New York. Um, But that's the closest thing. Like so, did you go like a city council meeting or was it like a planning meeting? It was city council, like a yeah, committee yeah. meeting or something like that. Yeah, city council. I'm stealing valor. They had a few okay, comedy so open mics near so, city so hall. So if you went to a city council meeting in New York, like so, there are like two kinds of public meetings. Like, like city council meetings are like especially in big cities can be circuses. Uh-huh. Like people get up there at grandstand, they say a lot of bullshit. Like, there's a lot of public posturing and no real fucking decisions are made in front of you. Like, that's that's a city council meeting in basically every city I've ever seen. Um, or there's nothing controversial there and you could use it to anesthetize people before taking out a spleen. Um, like, and there's almost no in-between. Zoning and planning meetings are exactly the same way. It's either, like, 500 Karens wearing red shirts who are like frothing at the mouth, pissed off because somebody's trying to build like a duplex next door. Or uh, 
like uh, basically a bunch of lawyers who are there to like s- put everybody to sleep and steal their wallets and there's nothing <laughs> in between i like it um, when uh, someone starts but rapping, the latter part like they pre- prepare to rap that's always fun yeah oh my god <laughs> that happens in Atlanta every once in a while because <laughs> cool. it's Atlanta, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. The irony is that we actually—the irony is that the last time we had actual rappers testifying at the city council here, it was over some really basic planning and zoning shit, and there was no rap to be had. Like <laughs> Killer Mike, like Killer Mike and Two Chains testified in front of like the Atlanta City Council about an ordinance change around club security. And it was, I mean, don't get me wrong. Killer Mike is actually probably should run for mayor at some point. Mm. Oh, um, yeah. Like, he, and he'd be, he's lining himself up for that stuff. Keep, keep that in the back of your head. He may be the first rapper who's got a public office. Huh. Uh, but uh, Two Chains, Two Chains looked like, uh, Two Chains looked like you put him in a dress and sent him to a, a children's birthday party, like, without telling him. Mm. Like he's like he was he was in the city council hearing because I think his lawyer told him to go. Like and he's a nice enough guy, but he was not his his element. Let's just put it like that. Um, my point about all of this stuff is that like those boring ass meetings are where local people get to actually make shit happen. Like that's where the like polit- governance is boring. 95% of what the government does will never doesn't make the doesn't make the newspaper or makes the part of the newspaper you don't read like and ver- like there are 20 people in a in a neighborhood who care and nobody else knows except for like super civics nerds like me who pay attention um that process has been completely short circuited there's none of that like the normal 20 people who would go up and go, I think you've got, you might have a, a wastewater problem on this property. And I need to like, I need to hear your grading plan for the, like the uh, river abatement, like that shit. Like <laughs> those people have been shut out of this entire conversation. Like they've been replaced by partisans, by all of the appointed folks so that they would, like no, basically, so that nobody else would have a word to say. And so, when we talk about outside agitators, yeah, there are fucking outside agitators. Like it is not, it's not an accident that everybody who's getting arrested is from out of state. Like it's Lollapalooza for activists in South Dakota. Like this whole thing, but they're not the only ones. Like the fact that the governor's got to say over this shit is bullshit. Like the fact that GBI and the state, the state police are sitting on this shit is bullshit. Like it should be the local fucking cop where I can go to coffee with a, at the coffee house once a month where the, where the precinct commander has to sit there and listen to the little old lady who lives on Clubhouse Drive complain about people driving too fast down her street that's the person who should be answering like i should be able to stand in front of that guy and go like hey your policing thing here like it's a little aggressive and i'm, I'm upset and i'm gonna like this may influence who i vote for later like that 
all of it's just God. Like, this is policing theater now. Right. It is like we are, the locals are no longer in charge of anything. Right. We, and you mentioned GBI, which is the, I believe, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Uh, and they did a little study report, shall we say, on a really tragic situation. There was a, a, an organizer uh, named Tortuguita who was uh, killed. Um, and the, the report they released said that, well, this person was uh, like dual wielding shotguns and shooting cops and stuff. But um, what's what's the reality there? Is there is there any evidence for that, that this was actually a, a shootout of any kind or was this person just murdered? So I'm not sure. The, uh, yeah, there's no final report yet. OK, like it's going to take another six weeks or so before we see anything final out of GBI. Um, I don't trust GBI. I look, I like GBI. Like, bear in mind, like, I'm skeptical of policing agencies in general. Like, I am a, I am a policing skeptic. Like, I think power needs to be questioned. Um, in general, I have found GBI to be a professional group of people. Um, that said, there's a hell of a lot riding on this, and I don't trust them. Uh, I think the I think the feds ought to be in here doing the investigation. I don't think GBI, given the politics involved, should, like, I think the optics are bad. They should turn this over. I think it's in their interest to get rid of this case. It definitely uh, seems like if the governor yeah, is going to get out like in front of it a gun, so much. Uh, the, gun, the gun's registered to Tortuguita. Tor well, the governor's going to use it. The governor wants this thing. The governor's going to take what he could get out of this thing politically. The governor thinks he's got some money to make here. And I mean that in a political sense. Um, let's start with this. The governor's going to run for the Senate probably in in 2026. He's going to He's going to run against John Ossa. And he's going to want to run and say, I am a tough on crime Republican. Like, I have been a competent leader. And I, like, when I, I take that seriously. And I'm not one of these Antifa whatevers. Uh, and so he wants to build a track record about that. And this, this is a political for the governor. Um, and anybody who's looking at this as something other than that, like that this is just him trying to govern, like he doesn't need nothing that has happened rises to the level of calling in the National Guard for anything. The National Guard is not necessary in order to handle two dozen hippies who are doing their elf thing in the trees in South South DeKalb. It is unnecessary. Um, the only possible justification is a manpower thing, and you can handle that with the state patrol, like you've been doing, like the you know, or even better, like you know, s spending some money from the state in order to bolster hiring in DeKalb County and Atlanta so that you've got actual cops who are answerable to local people who are handling this situation in ways where escalation doesn't lead to people getting killed. Sorry, could you actually just um, uh, talk about the National Guard thing for a minute in case anybody <laughs> listening hasn't heard about this yet? Oh, yeah, okay. So, Portuguita gets... I'm, I'm mangling that name by Tortuguita. 
Um, it's probably yeah. fair. I, it's it's, it's one or the I other. It's a strange name. I'm, I, I'm, I can't speak Spanish. Um, anyway, so Activist dies, is killed by, by the cops. Cop gets shot. A couple of days later, uh, protesters burned a cop car outside of Hooters in downtown Atlanta. Um, they smashed some windows. Six people were arrested. They were charged with domestic terrorism. And two days later, like the state of the union, state of the, the state, like camps talking about how like domestic terrorism cannot be tolerated. I'm going to show you that I back the blue. And 24 hours later, calls in the National Guard. Like he, he calls up 1,000 National Guardsmen to go and help patrol and control the neighborhood south of East Atlanta um, where, like, these protests are taking place. Um, last time they called up the National Guard over sort of protest stuff was 2020. And in 2020, we had 10,000 people in the street and, you know, some unnamed number of, like, Atlanta police officers out sick with COVID. And it might, at the very edges of things, been more justifiable. Like, there are no conditions where you can tell me that anything that's happened, like, rises to the level of, uh, you know, requiring a, an armored personnel carrier and guys with, you know, M16s posted up in the woods looking for guys in tree houses. It kind of seems like uh, the way that they got to that third point here of calling in the National Guard is premising on everything premised on accusing everyone involved of domestic terrorism which like that seems really spurious right i mean can you talk about that at all is is that yeah, a recent so development I, that that's you're able to call ev anyone and everyone a domestic terrorist or is that always been there i think they've been overcharged and i say that um as like domestic terrorism um by the statute in georgia requires a felony act of, you know, crime as an underlying count. You can't be charged with domestic terrorism if you haven't committed a felony. And none of the underlying charges, except for the arson charge and perhaps an assault on a police officer, would, would qualify as, as a felony. So they charged basically everybody with the arson. Problem was, everybody isn't guilty of the arson. Some one person is guilty of the arson, perhaps. Um, that I, uh, This kind of reminds me of something that happened to me recently. I live in a building, and one person had a party, and I had to go to court over it and tell the judge, just because another apartment had a party, that didn't mean I had a party. Your Honor, like, I am in my 30s. <laughs> <laughs> so I understand. Like, I mean, there it is. Like over over time, this stuff's going to get thrown out of court. Like there may be one or two people will you know will have to defend on it, but at some point, um, things are going to get thrown out of court. You know, I've got to tell you, like I'm, I'm wrestling with a very very difficult story right now mm. as an investigative journalist, and I hate that term. Like, it's just journalism. Like, there's either you're doing it or you're not. 
But um, the jail, the Fulton County Jail, has become extraordinarily dangerous. Uh, the odds of dying in there are about one in 200 on a year. Like one out of 200 people who are incarcerated in the jail are going to die there. Um, assuming that the numbers stay even this year to last year. That's about five times higher than normal. Uh, it's also about five times higher than the rate of prison deaths in the state prison system, which is high enough to merit a federal investigation. Um, the jail's bad. And I'm sort of looking, and I've been looking at it in the context of usually it's just poor black people who are being locked up because it's poor black people who commit crimes. They're committing crimes not because they're black, but because they're poor. Rich people don't commit the kind of crimes that send you to jail. Um, and then we look at the folks who are getting arrested on these domestic terrorism charges, and they're pulling bonds like in the $350,000 range. And if you hit some kid from South Atlanta with a $350,000 bond, he's not coming out of jail. You hit that, like, there are a lot of folks in that jail who are in jail on a $3,000 bond. Um, but as I'm interacting with folks who are connected to the protesters, like, it's clear that, like, their families are looking around like, do I have enough equity in my house? Like, I might be able to afford that. Like, let me just talk to my bail bondsman and my broker. And I'm like, like, we live in two fucking worlds. Like, there are two different realities for humanity right now. There are the folks who, in a pinch, can come up with $35,000, like, in order to manage, like, the, you know, the affairs of somebody who is ultimately going to get off and not go to jail on the charges that they're talking about. And then there are people who are dying because they can't get out of that jail on a $3,000 bond. And, you know, I look at this and I, and I, it is exactly the sort of thing that would drive me into a treehouse, you know, and just like where I'm dropping shit bombs on cops. I get it. Like, I get why people are pissed off. Like the, the system's fucked. The system is broken. Like we're getting what we're getting because it doesn't work. And because whenever anybody tries to fix it, the forces that be rise up and say, no, no, you can't do that. Well, we'll certainly keep an eye out uh, for that, that upcoming story. Very curious about that. Um, but as we're, we're rounding out here, um, are there any silver linings, I guess, for, for this time? Is this time, is, is anything going to change? Or, or do you think it's just going to be kind of a repeat of the cycle where people rise up, things uh, seem like they have momentum, and then uh, after a few months to a year, the cops end up getting even more money than they had? I think your read on, on that in the latter case is probably close to accurate. I'm not sure people are exactly going to rise up right now. People are pissed, but the cops are going to jail. Um, like any jury who sees that video is going to convict them. Like in this case, like the question of justice isn't like, but the disheartening thing for me is that up until two months ago, the, uh, Federal government was nominally in control by Democrats, Mo many of whom ran on matters of reform. Like they, like Joe Biden got elected saying, I am going to prevent this from happening. 
And from a federal level, like we haven't had any meaningful changes. Like you, I can't point at a, like a major law that was passed that changed the way policing works in the United States. And now we we don't have the we don't know we don't have the house. Nothing's going to happen in the next two years, except a running comedy gag. Um, like it's like the current Congress is a full employment act for comedians in the United States. <laughs> That's good news. Yeah, we need that act to pass now. <laughs> yeah. Um, just just Jordan. George, whatever the hell his name is, um, Santos. Ah, yes. Like, and whatever the hell his name is is exactly it. Um, like, I mean, yeah. Like, if you can't eat off of that for the next six months, then you should hang it up. Like, it's there. <laughs> uh, the um, but yeah, but it, what it means is nothing's going to happen. Right. And so, two years from now, we're going to be right back to where we were in 2020. Like people will be in the street and calling for change. Only it's clear that our politics are broken, and so nothing's going to happen. Um, I don't know what fixes it. I, I don't want to despair, like, but I think it's going to take something dramatic and strange. Well, I'm wondering if you agree with this, and this is probably my last question, I promise. Because um, you know we talk about oh this this biden had these proposals and um, couldn't get through congress but anything like with teeth that would actually change things like qualified immunity or militarization of police departments and actually do something structural um it feels like it it would be very difficult to enforce short of and i'm not exaggerating here like a military occupation and if you look at this nation's history the reconstruction civil rights act it's taken the military coming in and enforcing this stuff, do you think that is what is required to make sure police departments, and not just in the South, by the way, you know, all across the country, uh, comply with some sort of uh, new standard? If it, if it takes the Army coming in, we've already lost. <laughs> the Army coming in is a definition of fascism. Um, any, any solution to any of this stuff that does not involve me putting my ballot in a box, virtually or not, fails <laughs> anything that can be created by the army can be reversed by the army mm. um no I, I i don't think that's it i think it's like i think we need the equivalent of a political revolution like there is some message and some message bearer out there who can bridge partisan divide maybe to some degree mobilize because there are a bunch of like on some level like there are unreconstructed white guys who live in rural Georgia who have almost exactly the same feelings about cops that I do. Mm. Um, the, uh, you know, power is power. Like, and if you don't have it, you don't like it. Um, maybe there's some libertarian thing that will unify the country in a way that allows for the necessary horse trading to start, maybe. Like, I don't know. I don't know. It requires political creativity. Um, I'm a journalist. Like, I'm a very bad politician, I've discovered. <laughs> like, there's there's room for political genius in this country. We need to find it. 
Yeah, well, let's let's start looking for the right comedian who can uh, who can bring this thing together. Uh, George GD, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find your work? Look for me at the theatlantaobjective.substack.com. All right. Well, oh, and uh, I'm going to be starting a podcast of my own at some point. Oh, cool. Over the young, over the young thug trial. Oh, like, whoa, cool. That's going to be called "Take It to Trial." Take it to trial, um, and look for that in a few months. Sounds good. All, All right. right. Well, thanks again for coming on, folks. I you're listening it. to Pod Damn America. We may be an anti-fascist podcast. We may be a communist podcast, but you do not call us soft on crime. <laughs> <laughs> And we're back. And we're back. Will the army take over the city of Atlanta? You have to stay tuned to find all out. I'm, all I'm saying is look at <laughs> look at Reconstruction, which was ended prematurely. That involved the U.S. military. Look at the Civil War uh-huh. uh, and the enforcing um, civil rights uh-huh. legislation and, and laws. That, that all included... Uh, the U.S. military, and probably included a lot of individual soldiers who had terrible uh, views, but uh, sometimes that's what you need. I'll, I'm open to alternatives, though. Sure. I'm, I'm with you, man. I've been on my history grind for a while, you know, reading, trying to figure out how to do the damn thing, and uh, it kind of seems like you need the military to yeah. really to really change anything revolution style. And that sounds fucking impossible in this country. So right. right. I'm with you, but I don't but, know how the fuck we get to these people. I, I, <laughs> they you know, hate us, and dude. there's all kinds of awful, obviously horrific things about the, the U S military, one of the most awful institutions on earth. But in terms of them versus local American police, I feel like that's true. And the dynamic, they kind of have a uh, sibling rivalry thing going on. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think a lot of a lot of the people first of all, a lot of cops are ex military. And then there's also this I think and this is a perceived dynamic of just like if you're active in the military, you're looking at cops and you're like, they couldn't even get in the military. <laughs> <laughs> or they got kicked out for being bad guys. Right? Yeah. And you know, people have tried to dispute this point, but it is just blatantly true. Uh people join the military in the United States in I don't know about the majority of cases, but in a tr- tremendous amount for economic reasons. Yeah, no, and totally. They, they pray, recruiters prey on poor people. Right. Uh, and then some of them see that commercial with the big ship for the U.S. Navy goes in where it says global force for good. And they're like, oh, really? I didn't know. And then they just sign up for that. Yeah. I don't think those Whereas people... cops, it's like they are bullies who want to keep being bullies. Yeah, you don't... That's not... That's fucking dumb. I mean, so some people join the cop police because they are from a poor neighborhood and sure. they... they naively legitimately believe that the what the cops do is fix society so maybe you can you know save your own neighborhood or whatever but with the uh the military i think the big problem is that a lot of the people that do join it for economic reasons don't see that as exploitation they see it as opportunity because that's right. what the narrative is is like hey you know this is a way to get out of stuff and so you're like thankful to the military but i will say that like of a lot of military folks i've met in my life the ones that do like kind of agree with us and shit and are like hey don't tell anyone but i listen to your podcast and shit like that are all just just holding a gun to your head well they're all shell shocked (laughs) they're all like looking traumatized by their experience in the military and then correctly interpret that as like oh this didn't have to happen and i was like fighting Mm -hmm. a war on behalf of somebody else so if we just get everyone in the military to get that freaked out about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm writing this down. So start freaking out. <laughs> Step two, question mark. We're good. Step I will three, say, communist revolution. <laughs> <laughs> I 
without naming any names, uh, I have a friend I grew up with in, in St. Paul who I remember going to protests with, anti-Iraq protests, and saying, fuck the police with mm, him, mm. who uh, joined the Minnesota National Guard. And he paid for his college. Um, he, you, you know, can say it, it's Prince. <laughs> <laughs> he was from Minneapolis, but uh, he also like has generally left-wing views like it's not i don't think he would call himself a socialist or communist but is like on the left uh and you know it, it was an economic opportunity thing for him but the tragic thing of it is i remember seeing on facebook in 2020 he had to patrol the streets of saint paul with the minnesota national guard and i remember seeing a photo of him and some other dude i went to high school with like hey look who i ran into and he's like decked out in uniform with an m16 yeah that'll happen when you join the national guard you yeah. get deployed to the national guard right so it's a mixed bag. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it well, is a mixed bag. You take the good, you take the bad, and in the end, that's what you have. The National Guard. The National Guard. You said it as the song goes. All right, let's do plugs, huh? Let's get the hell out of here. Does anyone have stuff? <laughs> uh, if you want to yell at me first? for any number of <laughs> stupid things I have said or done, uh, at Andersley here on Twitter. Dursley one on, on Instagram. Uh, keep an eye out. Got some fun stuff coming up the pike. Okay. Um, I'm going to plug my uh, newest podcast just because I recorded a fun episode that's coming out Monday, and you should check it out. Uh, Quora Raiders, the number one Quora podcast where we read life's questions on the only question website, Quora, to you, the listener. Uh, be sure to check that out and check out my social media on Twitter at Patak Test Kitchen. PTAK test kitchen where I'll put all my bullshit over there. Jake? Uh, I have shows in New York now that I'm back. Um, let's see. I'm doing my friend Melissa Roach's show, Savage, which I am looking at her Instagram right now and can't see where the fuck. Oh, wait. No. Okay. There's an event right thing. It's happening right now. <laughs> Uh, it's at Logan's Run is the name of the bar. Oh, wow. that's next to me. Brooklyn, you really nailed it. Um, it's a Logan's Run themed bar. Can you go there if you're over 30? Awesome. No. I'm not going to be allowed <laughs> in. Um, They're going to hunt Jake. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Wednesday at 8 p.m. This coming Wednesday. Uh, what is that? The 1st of February. And then I also have some other shows coming up, like, for example... Um, I'm, uh, Anders stall them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the tell us a fact. 25th of February. I'm doing some event with Kristen Gonzalez. Uh, and then the day after that, the 26th of February, I'm doing, uh, Claro Kane and Emily panics show, which is at union pool hall. One of those, all this shit will be on my fucking. <laughs> we Twitter. will have, um, start attending union buildings. <laughs> <laughs> all this shit will be on my, uh, my Twitter and stuff. On Instagram, at Feral Jokes. You know it. Okay. You know it? You love it. And that's us for another week. That's it. Until next time. It's finished. It's finished. It's finished.